I'm going to start uh, our discussion this morning with some statistics. And these are meant uh, to demonstrate the difficulty that people experience trying to just get by. Go ahead and pop that up there, that first slide, if you will. Um, these statistics are meant just to, to help us understand what this life does to people. Uh, we live in, in the earthly kingdom. We talk about this all the time, but we live in this earthly kingdom while we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And we know the struggles of this earthly kingdom. I want to just uh, share a few of these statistics with you. Three quarters of Americans experience symptoms related to stress in a given month. 77% experience physical symptoms. 73 experience psychological symptoms. One-third of Americans feel they are living with extreme stress. About half of Americans, 48%, feel their stress levels have increased over the past five years. Money and work are the leading causes of stress, mentioned by three-quarters of Americans. Physical symptoms of stress include a fatigue, headache, upset stomach, muscle tension, change in appetite, teeth grinding, change in marital relations, uh, feeling dizzy. The psychological effects of stress include experiencing irritability or anger, feeling nervous, a lack of energy, feeling as though you could cry. About half of Americans, 48%, report lying awake at night due to stress. About one half of Americans say that stress has a negative impact on both their personal and their professional lives. About one-third of employed adults have difficulty managing work and family responsibilities. Over one-third cite jobs interfering with their family or personal time as a significant source of stress. Stress causes more than half of Americans to fight with people close to them. One in four people report they have been alienated from a friend or a family member because of stress. Eight percent connect stress to divorce or separation. Unfortunately, those statistics that I just read are not just a problem out there. They're not just a problem of, of those people who don't have faith in Christ. The description of the general population is reflected very closely in the lives of the church. And maybe you uh, yourself could even identify with some of those things that we just talked about. I constantly have people say to me, Pastor, we have no joy. We have no peace in our lives. We're missing that element of that daily, that hour-by-hour hour peace and joy that, that we talk about so often as part of the Christian life. There are some of you have, who have said to me that, you're more, uh, or that you would like to be more involved with discipleship and helping someone else on their spiritual journey, but, but because of your time constraints, because of the stresses of this life, you just can't give the energy pour into the life of some other people. Christians lose sleep. Christians worry about things they face. Listen, that is not who we're created to be. That is not who we were created to be. We were created in the image of God. And though we sinned, we have been bought back 
to become joint heirs with Jesus. We have been bought back at a very, very high price. God the Father willingly sacrificed his son Jesus. Jesus willingly came to this earth, lived with all of those things that this world does to us. And in the end went to the cross. And he paid the penalty for us so that we would be able to live in joy and peace. That truth should be enough for us to be able to live that way. That truth should be enough for us to have that joy and that peace that is indescribable. But for some of us today, we're more like the people described in those opening statistics. The Apostle Paul, in his letter of instruction to his young partner, Timothy, he gives us the perfect solution. If you have your Bibles uh, with you, I encourage you to open to 1 Timothy, toward the back of the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to begin in just a moment to read at verse 3, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, this is a letter. Timothy uh, was one of Paul's protégés. He was that, that young man that Paul was trying to bring along in the faith. He was discipling him so that Timothy would be able to carry on the ministry. And so Paul gives him instruction on how to be that spiritual leader. Uh, your leadership here at Murray Church have, have made a decision about some of the things that, that Paul talks about as far as it relates to us as leaders. We've chosen not to separate out the deacons to have a, a little higher standard than maybe some of the other leaders within the church. We've said, if we're going to be Christians, if we're going to be Christ followers, these truths are important for all of us. These aren't just something that, that someone with a, an office or a position needs to follow. And so we bring it to you, I bring it to you with the same understanding. Paul is discipling a young believer. He's, he's helping him get through those things that life throws at him. So that's the message he has for us today. Look at, at 1 Timothy chapter 6 with me. I'm going to begin reading at verse 3. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, even suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from this faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Will you pray with me? Father, today we need your Holy Spirit to take the words that are shared and Father, uh, allow your servant to just be a conduit of truth. Lord, to do that, I need you this morning to, to block from my mouth anything that would be my idea. I need you, Father, to, to close the ears of uh, all of us to those things that Satan would try to whisper. 
that would distract us and to pull us away from the truth. Father, today we give you permission to move through us and among us in the power of your Holy Spirit and to be our teacher. We pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen and amen. I want to give you hope this morning. I want to give you encouragement this morning that we have a foolproof way of beating this thing we call stress. We can experience God, uh, godly contentment in this life when we choose to resist the temptation to take our focus off of Christ. We can experience godly contentment. Godly contentment and worry cannot go hand in hand. Godly contentment and, and those stresses that keep us awake at night cannot go hand in hand. So we have a choice this morning as the Apostle Paul shares these truths with us. The first thing, the first truth that he needs us to understand, uh, uh, there's an outline on the back of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. But the first truth that we need to understand is this. Godly contentment is not found in power nor influence. Godly contentment is not found in power nor influence. Look at verse 3. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of truth and who think that godliness is a means of financial gain. The Apostle Paul is taking a very firm stand against those who are seeking fulfillment from anything other than Jesus. We're told by psychologists, and, and I don't necessarily buy into everything that's said, but I, I think there's a lot of truth here. That the, the three strongest powers in the life of an individual, the three strongest temptations, if you will, are power, money, and that lure of, of physical fulfillment, that sexual drive. And the Apostle Paul, in recognizing that, says, I've got some things to share about those particular items. The first group of people he addresses are those who have chosen to actually use the message of Christ to draw favor to themselves rather than to glorify God. They're changing the gospel to say what they want it to say. Their purpose is to rationalize what they want out of life rather than seeking what God wants for them. And to accomplish this, they're not simply spouting this perverted version of the gospel themselves, but they're trying to convince others to follow them as well. Now, I want to be very clear. These are not people who have been convinced by a lie and are following that lie with all of their heart. In other words, uh, the Muslims, the Hindus, they believe what they believe. And when they preach that as truth, they believe in their hearts that that is truth. This is a very different group of people that Paul is warning us against. These are people who understand the truth of the gospel, who understand the word of God, but for their convenience and to, to further their purpose, they, they tweak it just a little bit. They change it just a little bit. They make it fit their life rather than making their life fit the scripture. 
and gaining that power and influence and trying to be the person they want to be and somehow find a way for God to say it's okay. Their motivation is always selfish. It's always to gain influence over others for their own benefit. We've seen the destructive power of that on a large scale. Uh, who of us haven't, from one, at one point or another, heard a, uh, someone on our television say that, that if we just have enough faith, if we just believe deeply enough, we will be wealthy and healthy. And everything that, that ever we could want would be provided for us if we just have enough faith and send in just a few dollars. People have given to those ministries. And please hear me, I'm not putting everyone in a, in a box here. But some of the failures and some of the problems and some of the, the situations have made themselves very, very clear. Where when the truth comes out and, and we understand what's really going on, we find that there are those people who publicly are, are spouting the gospel as truth. But using the, the giving and the donations of others just simply to live a very extravagant life. And ultimately, that catches up. And ultimately, they're found out. And they're shamed. Because these people are twisting the gospel for their own purpose, Paul says they cause division and rob people of the truth. So the application for you and I. What is it that, that God wants for me to understand from this warning? Is it simply to be watchful and avoid those people? I can do that. I can do that. I, I can have my radar up and I can compare them, what they say to the word of God, and, and I can be sure that I don't fall prey to their temptations. But there's far more than just that that we need to understand this morning. We need to protect against Satan's temptation to do exactly the same thing. We need to, to be aware of what Satan constantly tries to get us to do. Now, none of us will ever have a platform big enough uh, to do anything at the scale of those that I've just talked about. But I want us, before we, we just throw the whole point away, before we just say that that never would apply to me, I want us to think about a couple of things. Has Satan ever said something like this? You know, it's been a rough week. It's been a rough week, and, and, and you've been really busy, and work has been hard, and you know what? Let's just take a Sunday and kick back. And after all, God wants us to, to, to rest, and God wants us to, to take care of our bodies. And we totally ignore the, the command of God to, to not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. And somehow what we do in worship and adoration to our Lord and, and the purpose of gathering together uh, becomes secondary. If I don't have this or don't have that or don't have something else to do, then, then okay. We pervert the truth of the gospel. Or Satan maybe ever whispered this, you're not responsible for that person at work that doesn't know Jesus. 
You know that family member that, that, that you know is lost, that, that has nothing to do with you. That's what preachers are for. That's what churches are for. And so I, I read in Scripture that, that, that God ordained the church to be the evangelistic tool, and so I'm going to just ignore my responsibility when Jesus said, go and make disciples. What Paul is saying, what he wants us to hear clearly this morning is we cannot take the truth of the Word of God and make it fit our own purpose. That's sin. And those that were doing it have a harsh condemnation. Anytime we choose to pursue what makes us happy in this life, ahead of what Scripture has said is God's plan for us, we fall into Satan's trap and we'll miss that offer for true contentment. In order to end with the, the obedience side and the upside of this discussion, I'm going to skip down to verse 9. And we're going to look at the other warning that the apostle gives us when he teaches that godly contentment is, found, is not found in possessions or wealth. Godly contentment is not found in possessions nor wealth. Look at verse 9 and 10 with me. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires. They plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is one of the, the most misunderstood passages in all of Scripture. Uh, it's misquoted often. The love of money is the root of all evil. That's not what he's saying. God does not have anything against those who have been successful. God doesn't have anything against those who have possessions. That's not what he's teaching here. It's not saying money is evil. It's not saying that our things are evil. It's simply saying that the attempt to find our fulfillment and our contentment in those things, in the money, in the possessions, that draws us away from God. And that makes it evil. Paul says that the love of money is the problem. When you look at that, that whole passage, when you look at the context in which he's speaking, people who want to get rich, that's that uh, inner desire that, that I can't focus on anything else because I need to focus on possessions, on my money, on my wealth. He's saying that's the root of evil, that's the problem, that's the struggle. The love of money. The simple truth is that the more attention, the more love we give to that accumulation of things, the less time we have for understanding our call to love God and love people. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's our priority. That's number one. When he shared that with the rich man and, and the rich young man said, you know what, I can't do that. And he walked away sad. The apostle Paul is saying, I just want something better for you. I just want something better for you. 
It's the love of money Satan can use to plant the roots of evil in our lives. The test to measure if we're falling into this trap is the level of peace and joy we have in this life. It's as simple as that. The measure of how far we've fallen into this trap is the measure of, of peace and joy that we have in this life. In my humble opinion, worry is one of Satan's most crippling weapons. In the life of a believer, when Satan's able to get the foothold of worry into the life of that individual, that's a hook that's hard to remove. Will I have enough to retire? Can I afford to keep my current lifestyle? What happiness will I have if I lose my job? And the list goes on and on and on. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says that when we worry, we are declaring that God is weak and unable to take care of us. Remember the lilies of the field? They don't toil or spin, and God cares for them. Remember the sparrow that, that flies through the air. God feeds that one. And in the context of that sermon, he says to us, when you pray, pray this. Give us today our daily bread. When you pray, make sure that you understand what the priorities are. Does God want us to eat? Yes. Does God want us to take care of those daily needs that we have? Absolutely. And he's promised to do that for us. But when we worry, when we worry, we're saying, God, we don't think you can come through. When we fret, when we stress over those things, we're, we're saying to God, we don't think you're up to the task. And that breaks God's heart. And not only does it break God's heart, but it, it, it turns our hearts and our minds and our, our focus off from who God wants us to be. Again, we have to ask ourselves some hard questions. Have my things or the lack of those things become more important to me than God's role in my life? Now, obviously, we'd all say, no, 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 that hasn't happened. But we have to ask the other question, how do I spend my time? How much of my time goes to actively obeying God's plan for me compared to how much of my time is spent in just trying to get by in this life? Remember, God's not against us having stuff. He's just begging us through the Apostle Paul not to allow our stuff to become that priority. That's the spot he wants to hold. I promised you at the beginning, and I'm going to give to you the foolproof way of eliminating stress in our lives. I'm going to give you the solution, not from my mind or anything that I could ever conjure up, but right from the infallible, perfect Word of God. Look at number three. Godly contentment is found in godliness. Godly contentment is found in godliness. You say, Pastor Mike, that's redundant. Well, of course it's redundant. It's meant to be. It's that simple. Godly contentment is found in godliness. It's a choice. It's where we put our focus. Look at verse 6 with me. But godliness with 
contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. The apostle is reminding his friend Timothy. And through him, he's reminding you and me today of a familiar adage. You can't take it with you. You brought nothing into this world. You can take nothing out. What's he doing? He's putting this life in perspective. When we think about the fact that we live as citizens of the kingdom of God, as a Christ follower, as a believer in Jesus, we right now are joint heirs with Christ. We right now are chosen. We right now are seated in the heavenlies with God the Father in our spirit. That's, that's what scripture promises us. And so we, we are citizens of this kingdom. But for these 80, 90, 100 years, whatever God gives us, we're stuck in this earthly kingdom. And so Paul says, do the math. Put it in perspective. Which one's going to last? Which one's going to have more benefit? We brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing from it. In other words, if we want true contentment, if we want true peace and joy every moment of every day, we can have it if we make the right choice. By the way, these are not just good Bible words. These are not just uh, good things to think about in a sermon. This is truth. This is something that can be achieved, but only if we want it more than we want the things of this world. Have you ever stopped to watch the television commercials that start? Well, they used to start in November. Now they start about September in preparing children for Christmas. And, and you're watching these commercials, and there, there's this toy that does just unbelievable, uh, unbelievably amazing things. And there's all these children, and they all have one, and, and they've got these battles going on, or they've got these races going on, or, or they've got this house set up that's just phenomenally uh, beautiful and, and just exciting, and their faces are shining, and, and your child says, I want that. And you try to convince them, it's a little different when you open the box. All those kids don't come with this toy. The cartoon of it flying around, that's not going to happen at your house. And so that excitement that, that the child has for this toy, and they open it on Christmas, and they, they play with it for about 15 minutes, and then they never touch it again. Anybody ever experience that? I think so. Well, you know what? That's what God's saying to us. Satan can't produce what he's promising. Satan is that TV commercial. He shows us all of this wonderful stuff. He shows us that, that, that if you're going to, to be anything, you've got to be prepared for your retirement and you've got to have all this money. And I'm not against that and neither is God. Please hear me. But Satan cannot keep his promises. Why? He's a liar. 
His native tongue is to lie. He is the father of lies. He cannot keep his promises. So we look at all of the things that distract us. And we lay awake at night and, and we think, what am I going to do in this situation? And what am I going to do in that situation? And we open the box and it's just not fulfilling. And God's Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says, here's the solution. Live in this kingdom. Here's the solution. Pursue this kingdom. You know that promise that we are joiners with Christ? You know how long that promise lasts? For all of eternity. You know that promise that, that God loves us with an everlasting love? You know how long that is? Forever. This 80, 90, 100 years, doesn't matter what we have during that time, there's a point where it comes to an end. There's a point where, where it just goes away. And we have absolutely no control over that. So God's call very simply to us today is this. When Satan tempts you to worry about this stuff, when Satan tempts you to stress over this stuff, when Satan is trying to get you to, to, to get more involved with this stuff, just say, no, thank you. I'm going to pursue godliness. I'm going to pursue righteousness. And the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says some very profound words. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness, and by the way, the byproduct of godliness, Paul says, is contentment, peace, joy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We need to remember the alternative to the lies of Satan in seeking Christ, in obedience to what he has called us to, that he is the source of all joy. His joy will not only be genuine in this life, but will last forever. That true contentment, that fulfilling peace and joy is available, and it's free for everyone. The joy expected from the time and resources needed in pursuit of the things of this world just isn't there. Now let's be honest. Let's be honest. There might be some of that immediate gratification. You know, you know that, that squeal of joy when the child opens the box? That, that might be there for you and I. We might uh, ha have for a brief time and, and maybe even for the next 30 or 40 years think that that's the right thing. But there's that moment in time where it's just going to go away. But God says, I never will. I never, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will never, ever, ever allow for all of eternity you to slip from my grasp. 
God's simple formula is to pursue godliness ahead of everything else. And in that, we are guaranteed contentment. God's desire is for us to live with joy and peace as part of his kingdom here on earth. These are fundamental pieces of true contentment. The key to acquiring this level of godly contentment is to know where to look. Achieving this contentment is what Jesus was offering when he taught us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto us. Do you know the context there? It's in the context of worry. It's where, what we talked about a few moments ago when, when Jesus is, is saying, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about the stuff of this world. Do we pray about that? He said to Give us today our daily bread. But we don't fret about the stuff of this world. Instead, he said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, we need to understand something in that promise. All of these things that are added are added according to God's purpose, not our purpose. They're added according to God's plan and God's will, not our plan and our will. matter of trust do we hang on to stuff which will become worthless to us when we leave this earthly existence or do we choose to commit every ounce of our being to the pursuit of godliness which is eternal and what God offers to us with complete rest I want you to bow your heads with me this morning if you will Father God, I just thank you today for the truth of your word. Father, I thank you for the power of your word and the authority of your word and the opportunity that we have uh, to claim the promises of your word. God, I confess there's times when the things of this world press on me a bit. And I just pray today that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you will give that hope and that encouragement and, and that willingness for us to reevaluate our priorities. Father, thank you that while we're living in this kingdom, this earthly mess, that we don't have to be subject to it. Thank you that you have provided for us the gift of Jesus and allowed us, Father, to claim that hope and that promise. I pray that for my brothers and sisters today, Lord, that you would just use the truth of these words to penetrate our hearts. Father, if there are those today that are struggling with worry, there are those today that, that have gotten their focus on things. I pray, Father, today that you would give us freedom. With our heads bowed, no one looking around, please. I, I just want to ask you to pray this prayer. 
Would you just ask God's Holy Spirit, and he'll answer it, I promise you. Ask God's Holy Spirit, are there things that I'm placing ahead of you? Are there things that I've allowed to get in that spot that only you want to control? And if God places that thought of worry and that reminder of your tendency to fret and that reminder of your tendency to, to lose sleep or to stress over the things of this world, then the answer to that question is yes. But God's promise is that if we just confess that, if we just let it go and give that to God and, and seek to pursue His righteousness and seek the, the trust and the confidence that He's promised us that we can have in Him, that at that moment in time, we'll have that peace and that joy. Just take a moment. Ask God to show you this morning. If God's shown you a struggle, just confess it to him. Father God, forgive me of my worry. Forgive me of my stressing over things that don't matter in this kingdom. God, empower me to be that person that seeks you first. Just with our heads bowed, no one looking around. If that's been your prayer and you say, Pastor Mike, I just pray for me this week that God will just solidify that in my heart. Would you just lift your hand where you're at? Thank you. Others, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Others, thank you. Anyone else? Father, I pray for these, my brothers and sisters, that your Holy Spirit would just so, so confirm in their hearts right now the decision that they've made, that you, Father, would... uh, Make it impossible for Satan to even whisper any doubt or any fear into their lives. Lord, I just pray today that as we celebrate your table and and, uh, take the elements of communion, that, that our hearts would be so full and so excited and ready uh, to receive from you today because of our obedience. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen.